Welcome to Capes, Cowls and Masks, the show where we uncover the world of soups and science fiction. And welcome to our weekly spoiler review show of the latest entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Today we'll be looking at the third episode of the show, titled Power Broker, directed by series director Carrie Scogland and written by Derek Kolstad. I am your host, David Osger. I'm a podcaster and a editor over on Fresh Take Hub, as well as a content creator. And I am joined by our guest for the series, who is a fellow writer and film journalist. It's Stefanos Larkis. Hello, Stefanos. You know, I never thought that Zima would be an amazing partner on the dance floor. <laughs> he, he had some moves. He definitely had a... He knew how to boogie on the dance floor. <laughs> this, this is how Europeans do it, man. <laughs> That's very true. Don't uh, don't mess with Stefanos if uh, if you break him out of prison in the future. He's uh, <laughs> he's going to be quietly sipping a uh, alcoholic beverage while uh, calculating his next his next move. <laughs> no, you kidding me? Once everything is done with the pandemic, I'm going everywhere. <laughs> just get on that private jet you know <laughs> oh yeah with a with a butler and like all the food that somehow it's just i have so many questions but i don't mind it yeah it, it does make me laugh that these comic book properties often will be like thank god we have a character who has money because how else would we get around this you know just sam and bucky like hiding in cargo on a on a passenger flight or something like that yeah and i don't want to be like the idiot of the group but I never thought that his that Baron was not his name. <laughs> I really thought it was his actual name, but I never thought, oh, Baron, as as a Baron and a Baroness. Of course, yeah. it makes sense. <laughs> I guess I always saw it as a title, but I saw it more as a supervillain title rather than an actual, he is actually a Baron. So the same with like, Doctor Doom. You don't think of him like you're like, oh shit, yeah, he's an actual doctor, whereas you just think it's like a, a fun evil name. <laughs> so yeah, uh, you know, I, I do like it when they do stuff like that. It's pretty clever. So, you know, we'll go first off into our overall thoughts about this week's episode as we continue to go on the adventures of Sam and Bucky. Uh, this week, the brief synopsis for it on Disney Plus was that Sam and Bucky go to a criminal safe haven to find information about the super soldier serum so stefanos what are your thoughts about this week's episode power broker i mean first of all like we said before the recording it's called power broker and there's no power broker to find like it is that was just bizarre for me why did you call it like you like the how i say in the synopsis a safe haven of criminals or something like that that was just weird but beyond that, I enjoyed it for sure. I did feel that it was what I wanted from the second episode, but I also felt it happened a bit too fast. But overall, I am very satisfied with it. I also didn't expect a lot of the stuff they did with Zemo. That really took me off the rails, but in a good way. Like a... I didn't expect to have a group up. I thought that he was going to be the mastermind who somehow is going to escape by using them. But in reality, they helped him, which I thought was fun. Very silly, and I don't see how that would work. 
but I'm fine with it because it was entertaining. And I think Daniel Brühl is a very good actor. He's sweet, and I'm glad that we're seeing a bit of, of charisma from him, and especially going with the other two leads. Um, but yeah, I have far more positive things to say. There are some negatives, as we're going to analyze them later on. But yeah. Also, the ending confirms my bloody theory that I've been yeah. having for two weeks, and I was so happy that I get some level of validation. Yeah, exactly. I, I when I was listening to last week's episode, I came across that part, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I didn't think of that. That's a good theory. That's a you know good good aspect." And maybe it's just because I haven't been looking out as much for theory pages and different articles written about this series as much as One Division to not get into that trap. But I haven't seen anybody or people picking up or talking about that. So I think that's going to be a nice, nice surprise for people, which, again, we'll we'll talk about later in the episode. But uh, yeah, kudos to you for picking up on that, Stefanos. Yeah, for myself, I think that it's kind of similar to my feelings on last week's episode. So while I really appreciated the first episode for how much it went into where these characters are right now and talking about who they are as characters and setting up their different sort of worlds and what situations they were in. I'm still a bit torn on the direction that the story is going in. I think that there are elements that I'm definitely enjoying and I think that are really strong. But then there's other times throughout the episodes where I'm left asking, well, why, why are we seeing this? Why are we going here? And I think it does also come down to a bit about what you and Jake were talking about last week which is sometimes what these superhero series can struggle with is the aspect of telling this big story over several episodes it's whether you make them work as individual episodes or whether it just seems like a movie like split into parts and I feel that that was still definitely the case here I feel that there's definitely like a strange sort of pace and tone to the series so even though it give us a lot of great moments and a lot of great action, I'm still not quite clicking with everything. I'm not watching it going like, oh, I'm loving every minute of this. Whereas I think the benefit to something like WandaVision was because it was so new and different and we had never had a Wanda or Vision-based film, you didn't have anything to compare it to. So I think here as well, you're seeing a lot of visuals and a lot of storytelling tropes which were very much strength of films like Winter Soldier and Civil War. So it's hard not to compare the series to those movies, if you know what I mean, especially when you've got a character like Zemo showing up. Yeah, I guess also the irony to all this is the fact that a big part of the story is about Sam and Bucky kind of trying to surpass their feelings and their past with Steve and becoming their own people. But the same thing can be told, can be said about the show itself, because it feels very much like a Captain America film, but it it, it either tries too much to be one, or it, or by also the same time tries to be completely not that. And because of the medium, it feels not res, not restrictive, but definitely a very strange balance that it doesn't go either way. And especially for this episode, I felt like it was two different episodes of plot uh, all mashed into one. While in the previous episode, that could have just easily just been like the first half of an episode. 
Ich habe keine Ahnung, wovon du sprichst. Die Amerikaner sind als Unmenschen geboren. This is doesn't know. Bullshit. It's bullshit. We know she came through here. Now where did she go? Do you know who I am? Yes, I do, and I don't care. Uh, but let's now go to our episode breakdown to talk more specifically about elements in the episode. And like I said, there are a lot of strengths here. And as you said, Stefanos, there's a lot of other problems. So uh, we'll go straight into it now. So we start off, uh, we see that uh, in a campaign to track down the flag smashers. Well, first of all, actually, we start off with a GRC sort of advert, don't we? So before we even get before we even get to the john walker stuff there's actually this grc ad which again i thought was a weird opening considering that nothing really ever tied back to that because as soon as we saw that i thought oh cool we're gonna start getting into the grc stuff how that's kind of influencing things and how potentially that's a corrupt organization but that didn't really lead to end to anything what, what did you think of that that first sequence um, like I said, like Yossi said, I, I was kind of hopeful that I was thinking, that, oh, finally, we actually can have the villain. Because I was thinking that maybe GRC will be the actual villain in all this. But what we ended up being is kind of like, I think because the thing overall, this episode, if there's one word that they use a lot and they kind of describe it, is hypocrisy. Mm. And... GRC has very much proven to be that. And the fact that the immediate next scene is the new Captain America bursting into, for, in, in a, actually in a foreign country, in a, in, a, in a home, and just harassing people. I think that's part of it. But yeah, I, don't, I didn't feel there was huge relevance because in the end of the day, uh, this new cap is far more on the military. I imagine on the UN GRC. I'm not certain if if he is working for the GRC. They didn't make it very clear, and but I still have the hopes that most likely that organization is the real villain of this in in some capacity. Like to be honest, I could even see the GRC actually is working with the power broker or something, because that will make sense. Yeah, exactly. Well. After this, uh, yeah, strange advert, then we go to a hideout in Munich, uh, which has been used by the anarchists and the flag smashers. Uh, we then see that John Walker uh, is infiltrating this place with his sort of like small task force. Uh, the man inside speaks German, so they bring in Lamar Hoskins uh, to work as a translator, and you know they find out from that guy that the group has unfortunately ran away and we see that John Walker is definitely not happy about this. We see that the the man he sort of questioning sort of spits in his face and you know he has this moment like, do you know who I am? And yeah, it, it you start to think like, oh, are we now starting to see the exterior be peeled away? And are we starting to see now the the true character of John Walker, which I think Again, was I was looking forward to seeing more of that potentially in this episode. I was I was quite sad that we only really saw cut back to them so once really was it. But I still enjoyed the fact that we were starting to see him be chipped away now, to start to see him 
have this sort of ego about him. And maybe even potentially Lamar is starting to question his methods or or what they're doing because ultimately they just want to get the job done to look good. But also they're they're racing against Sam and Bucky because they don't want to be outsmarted by them essentially. So you know what 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 did you make of this scene with John Walker? Did you know did you have the same reaction or? Yeah, like to be honest, I really liked that opening um, because I also like the that guy, the, the owner, I wish we had a name for him because I did like his reaction because we only see him in two scenes and we see that vast difference to the one or the other, the one supposedly a terrorist group and he's actually very positive, very homely and overall enthusiastic about them. And then we see the supposed good guys and completely respect and the whole thing, oh, he says, like, I, I know who you are and I don't care, which, like, f- f- for starters, I didn't say that. <laughs> Overall, I don't have the best opinion about America because I was raised uh, d- d- during the Iraqi war. So, obviously, all of us Europeans, we do not have a good opinion for her, for Americans. And this kind of, and especially John Walker's reaction, that is actually very reminiscent to uh, army veterans that were to the Middle East and that had that kind of attitudes. So, which, it, it's a very interesting perspective because even though it is a show with a, you know, a, a flying shield that's coming back to you and and metal suits flying around, that's, for some reason, felt way too real to me. Because this is kind of what I would have expected from a military guy to become captain. Yeah. Yeah, it could actually turn into a kind of American sniper situation, isn't it? Where everyone lords him as a hero and this great soldier in which a lot of people maybe outside that situation or aren't as pro-military or war would look at it and go, he did some pretty bad stuff, so... You know, there definitely could be that sort of angle with this story. And, and you see that a bit with the man that they question because he says, you know, you Americans have just become sort of like thugs, you know. He, so again, like putting the emphasis on what Americans have become, which I thought was quite interesting as well. So, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see how that evolves. But uh, yeah, I think we definitely got some good glimpses here. And I hope that we get a lot more screen time for, for John Walker in the future. Uh, but after this, I found this, I, I thought it was interesting that we didn't actually go to the title here. So when we watched the next sequence, it was then after all of this other stuff happens, they then bring up Falcon Wind Soldier. And I was like, oh, crap, I kind of forgot that we hadn't seen the title card yet. It's, you know, when those shows sometimes have like 15 minutes of story and then bring in the title card. And it's a weird thing that American series do sometimes. You're like, oh, why, why did you wait all this time to bring it in? So I don't know why they didn't bring it in after maybe the John Walker scene. But yeah, the the scene anyway that happens after this, but before the title card is that we are in Berlin and Bucky has decided to visit Zemo as they teased in the last episode. Uh, He visits Zemo who's in his cell on his own and Bucky says that because of their shared history with Hydra, then he would be the better person to speak to Zemo rather than Sam who is essentially an Avenger or was an Avenger. So he thinks that he can speak to Zemo 
more because they have that similar beliefs about super soldiers and there might be some sort of I guess connection already there for that or so like sympathy which I think in a way is true and I think that's quite clever on on Bucky's part and I think it's quite good that he's in some ways willing to face his demons almost because as we very early on see he's already trying to test him and see if the the code works uh, the code names so work on him uh, which obviously they don't so you know Bucky is already sort of bringing himself face to face with somebody who's, who's caused him trauma in the past and let's not forget actually that he was on his list I believe in episode one wasn't he Zemo of his people he was writing down on that on that notebook so you know maybe maybe there's some ulterior motive that Bucky wants to, to get him out of prison as well well the thing is because um, because unfortunately there is like one shot in the trailers that's that kind of shows that there is going to be some kind of confrontation between the two. Uh, I don't know. I still am not very certain about the context of that shot, especially after watching that episode. But yeah, like like you said, um, I didn't really think about that Zemo might actually feel some level of remorse to what he did to Bucky. Because the thing is, like, whenever I think about Zemo back in Civil War, I always think about the bad things he was doing. But then, as I was watching the episode, I was always being reminded to his, some of his pieces of dialogue, especially the one that he had with Black Panther at the end, where he basically, he does say that, I'm sorry for your father. I didn't want to do this. I, I, it, it, just, it was one of the um, collateral damages. And, and yeah, I remember that, oh yeah, he did this because he thought he was he was doing a good cause or kind of revenge for losing his family. And and in reality, he didn't want to kill anyone, although he did kill several people, which uh, which it does bring... He makes me be conflicted for some scenes later on. Uh, but yeah, like it was a good touch, so especially for Bucky. And I think he kind of understands that, where Zemo was coming from. But still, like I, I kind of I want to see more of it. I definitely want to explore Zemo's actual psychology and morality. Because who knows? I mean, apparently, five years have changed a lot of people, <laughs> based on this episode. Yeah, I think Zemo is definitely an interesting character because, especially in this episode, they kind of take the persona of Zemo in Civil War and place that into this show so he's there being the cold calculating villain that he is in civil war and they go hey you know wouldn't it be interesting to see this guy in a nightclub as we joked earlier but also let's see how how many contacts he has how he works within the sort of the crime ring and all that kind of stuff so like you said it'll be interesting then to see like john walker if we start to see him sort of unraveled a bit more rather than just sort of playing this sort of cliche character of like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm always deceptive and I'm always sort of scheming. And, you know, the the way he delivers his lines, even sometimes I felt, especially like on the plane, it, it was kind of almost comedic in some ways that, they, you know, he was playing just very, you know, typical Zemo, you know, like, so Zemo describing a great album of, 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 
modern art but he he describes it in a very zemo way so that that's what i'll also be interesting to see is that whether he'll stick to being the kind of typical villain and typical zemo we know of being this like whole calculated in person or whether he'll actually become more of a fleshed out character by the end i do have the fear that they might actually do a complete reversal and actually make him into a sort of anti-hero like he's like he has a good cause and he's learning but he does not afraid to pull the trigger on an unarmed man but again it's it's one of those things which i could see as a possibility and it could work but that this is the chance of really doing like taking the classic zemo character and making him to a fallout villain and if they do that then i would like to to keep him for the rest of the franchise because i think he has great potential of being a recurring villain yeah well again it's kind of like i always refer to you know magneto again he's not again a, a sort of typical villain because he's doing it because he believes in the movement and you know the the deep beliefs that he holds so he has to do villainous things in order to achieve them but he's doing it purely because he wants a better life for his people so it's almost sim- similar to zemo you know a lot it's like you said in that scene you know he apologizes to uh, t'challa for what happened to his father but you know he sees it ultimately as just a casualty of the sort of mission that he's fighting for but what what i thought was interesting here as well is that you have bucky you know come up to the glass he he tests him with the the words and sees that you know they don't work anymore and at that point bucky tells him that there's a new group of super soldiers running around and he needs his help and and zemo makes it very clear to him that you know i'm the person you want to be involved in this because i can tell you exactly where to go so he's all already sort of influencing him and encouraging him to help him get out of prison etc but what i found interesting as well is that they keep saying oh oh, there's some super soldiers running around and that's where i think it gets a bit messy sometimes i'm like look are the villains like super soldiers or are they flag smashers because by making flag smashers super soldiers it kind of muddies muddies things a bit because you're like, well, are we going after them because they're super soldiers or are we going after them because they're flag smashers? And what does them being super soldiers hold as a threat? Because at this stage, we haven't really seen them cause any major damage or hurt anybody, particularly at this stage. It's not like in Winter Soldier in which you've seen that, you know, this character has come along and is killed a major character or has killed a bunch of people like i think i think the main reason why our leads do this mission because they are super soldiers it's far more for them is the fear of what someone would do with that kind of power but yeah but beyond but then you become the question why is someone like john walker interested so much why especially actually why the government is so interested to send him to do this job. That's why I'm hoping that the GRC are the villains that they started all this. Because that would make far more sense. It would bring actually a lot more depth to all of the stuff that we were introduced to. 
but yes, but that is the big question because also, like I said, the Flag Smashers haven't done at that point something big. Like if anything else, they they're just you know, you know like an, an, another extremist group, nothing huge or different, or especially like nothing peculiar. Especially when we go to, it's not Singapore, <laughs> it's it's fake Singapore, <laughs> Madripoor. <laughs> yeah, the, I'm gonna call it fake Singapore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and yeah, and especially we go there, we see actually some far more threatening people than the flag smashers. Mm. So yeah, like it will make far more sense that like everything, like the flag smashers are just the very unfortunate people who, who go there in the wrong place at the wrong time got these powers and now they're haunted by everyone because they stole from the wrong people like that seems where they're heading uh i like uh, but i like that zemo's like zemo has a philosophy like he's he doesn't want anyone to have this kind of power that's why he killed all the winter soldiers because he didn't want them to be released and cause more more mayhem so I understand his perspective, where he's coming from. And to be honest, if he doesn't go all the way to kill, to try to kill those uh, Flax Masters, then I will be a bit disappointed and I would say maybe it's a bit out of character. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, what are you doing here? I didn't want to tell you because I knew you wouldn't let this happen, okay? What did you do? We need him, Sam. You're going back to prison. If I may. No! no. That prison break was stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were so many things. Like, I understand, like, they did show from before with the guard, him being in front of the camera, saying the, the password. I know, like, I know they did that because then they're showing Zemo doing the same because obviously he has started them. But still, man, this is like a, a max security prison. He just escaped because two guys were fighting. <laughs> I mean, come on, even with Bucky's help, that was too easy. I know, and it wasn't that much help as well. And like he he was also like, oh, if you have two guys start a fight, then there's one guard on the on the two guys, and then if another two guys, then there's you know, there's a shortage of guards, etc. Which to be fair, I would have loved if they had like an other scene before saying that, oh, there's a strike or something with the guards, or because of the blip. A lot, a lot of people had to take you know holidays or you know to leave to be with the families or stuff like that. That would have been far more believable because it would have been on the right or the right spot at the right time. But I don't know. That that felt definitely feels like a network show, which it's just convenient for the plot. That's what I was gonna say. It was just basically just a way to get him out of there. And and like you said, it, it's funny. It was almost like Days of Future Past in a way that you have a character who is broken out of prison. So I was mentioning Magneto earlier, and then they go to like a private jet <laughs> and get on the jet and talk about, you know, the the rights and wrongs of different characters and that kind of stuff. I was like, I'm getting major Days of Future Past vibes off this, but oh god, yeah, I never I... thought about that in the film. <laughs> True, because they just escaped one of the biggest prisons on the, under the Pentagon and the government did nothing afterwards. <laughs> it was kind of believable there because you had essentially, what, four superpowered beings, whereas again, here it was just kind of, Zemo did most of it just by putting on different outfit and sort of hiding indoors and that kind of stuff. So like you said, I think it just needed a bit more grandiose to it to sort of 
make it a bit more believable rather than this kind of small prison which just gets the better of them because a fight is going on and Zemo manages to disguise himself. It seemed like you like you said with the whole password thing and everything, you you would hope that they would be a bit more clever than that. Especially because in the MCU we have seen that underwater prisons are a thing. So are you seriously gonna suggest that like you put like Falcon and Hawkeye inside an underwater prison, but you don't put Zemo in one? <laughs> it seems a bit bizarre, but Again, we'll buy into it for the case of the show, but <laughs> yeah, w- once we uh, once we get our introductions to Zemo with Sam and Bucky, and he talks about how he has, you know, no intention of leaving his mission incomplete in terms of the super soldiers, then we see them go to Mandrapore after getting on their jet, and he says about him being a a Baron, and you know, Sam, you know, was like, oh, so you got money, and he's like, yeah, you know, I, I am a Baron, which again was was a great line. And, you know, we see to the level of, you know, he's got like a butler and all that kind of stuff, which, again, I bought into because it made sense because of his background. Often people who come from money will often get involved in law enforcement or the army and that kind of stuff. So that kind of made sense. And it also makes more sense why he could do all the things he did before, why he's got certain contacts. But it did make me also question why his wife and child were in Sokovia because that seemed like a pretty poor area. So I don't know why they would have... Did they just have like the nicest house in Sokovia or something like that? Because the the place that sort of went up into the air and thrown down back to the ground didn't look like the most wealthy of areas. So that I was a bit confused about. But Yeah, because he also said that it was also his father with them. Yeah. And uh, based, again, on the trailers, we know that we are going to see the monument, uh, the statue that they built on Sokovia later on. That's mentioned so, in this episode as well, isn't it? He says, have you been to the monument, etc. So, yeah, we're definitely leading up to that. Uh, but once once we get all of this, we are then taken to Madripoor, as we mentioned earlier, uh, which is, uh, or you said is, uh, was a fake Singapore, and um, my, but it is fake Singapore. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like they 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 safe haven for pirates, and we come on. <laughs> exactly. So, but I do have to say, this place looks great. You know, I'm really impressed with the visuals of this. You know, cr- creating this kind of fake city with the sort of neon. The you got a really nice looking bridge, kind of like with Sokovia and and other country, you know, out, uh, countries and locations we've been to before. You do kind of question: Is this a real place? I thought that that was pretty good. Uh, we, you know, we get we told that this is a criminal sanctuary, uh, sanctuary located in the Indonesian archipelago, where the three assume the identities of the local criminals for a disguise. We see that Sam has become some like somebody who looks exactly like him. What was he called? Like Smiling Tiger or something like that? Is it? Yeah. Which, again, once again, so dumb. This is so dumb. But I'm okay with it because it's Anthony Mackie. He's, he's charming and he's good with comedy, so it works. And although, to be honest, I did see the photo again of the real guy. And I'm like, I see some similarities. But to be honest, if someone knows him, they will know it's not the same person. I mean, that, 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 that's okay. That's just definitely the thing that I found a bit off especially when the bartender was looking at him and obviously he kind of recognized him but then i'm like no you don't that's 
No, <laughs> he's not even trying to hide his eyes. He was wearing glasses, maybe, but come on, man. Yeah, I think it's just the idea of, again, these are kind of larger-than-life criminals. So I was kind of willing to buy into that in the sense of you are dressed this way, and as long as you carry around the the performance of the role, then people won't sort of bat an eyelid. It's once you sort of, like, drop the facade, then people will sort of question you. So I kind of like that aspect. It's like you can actually do a lot by just, even if you didn't look exactly like them, it's the kind of trick of the mind. And that people might, again, sort of see you and interact with you and be like, something's not right to you. But again, they're not they're not sure enough to actually call it out or do anything because at the end of the day, do they want to just get into a fight or, you know, what what can they do? Uh, yes. So, but the, yes, but the bartender knew his favorite drink. Yeah. <laughs> if that if, that, if a bartender knows the favorite drink of, of a person, that means they know them. Exactly, yeah. That was, that was the one thing which is a bit like, because he is watching him so much at that point, especially. Uh, but it did lead to a, to a nice comic moment. Uh, we also go to, we go back to Carly. She's at the GRC camp in Riga, comforting and mourning her dying mother. So again, this is the parts in which, you know, we're, are these the villains, you know, because we're now meant to be sympathizing with these characters. And it also kind of gives me the vibes of similar to the actress in Solo because she, because Erin Kellyman was uh, the... Is it the Wind Riders? Is that what they were called in Solo, a Star Wars story? Yeah, it's 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 you know it's the supposed first people that started the rebellion, which based on canon there were like so many people who started the rebellion. So I don't know anymore. <laughs> but it was just the fact that it seems almost as if she's playing the same kind of character here. It's this oh, they're the villains, we must chase after the villains and you must stop them from doing what they're doing to later find out, like, oh, actually, they were trying to do some good and these other people are the villains. So I'm kind of just a bit confused as to why Disney would want to do that twice in two of their own properties, which are both sort of very similar to geeky, very properties, which have similar audiences, and then just to cast the same actress for kind of the same role i'm that's where i'm i'm concerned about are they just going to go down the stereotypical route of like oh no the flag smashers are trying to do something good because like said is it that they're just trying to make carly a more sympathetic villain or they actually trying to sort of humanize him or to later set up the fact that these are just in a way like you said an extremist group but are not actually trying to do anything actual evil uh, the only evil thing she's done is that she did actually kill Red Wing and we still haven't uh, seen seen any uh, well, sign of Red Wing point, returning yet. Well, after that point, because later on she does she does do something more extreme, which mm. uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But I completely forgot she wasn't solo until last week. Or be more honest, I completely forgot about that plot line in solo until, next, uh, until last week. So, uh, so yeah, like uh, it's for what you said before. Why would Disney do that? Maybe because not a lot of people remember Solo. <laughs> yeah. they, so that I, does I happen would a lot. That. They're kind of like, oh, we like this storyline, we like this character, and let's take it and put it in something else. So you know, it, it would make sense in that sense. So far, main problem with Carly is the fact that we don't actually have a scene. 
with her or of her. It's far more, we always, whatever we know about her, we hear from other people or from a narrative or for, for a voiceover. Like we never really see her as a person. And it's it's pro it's a problem because that this is some great potential. The, uh, like there's a part of me that really cares for her, but only cares for her because other people are telling me to care for her. I love these. Cheers, comrade. Mmm. This, you know, leads us back to uh, Zemo, Sam and Bucky, who uh, eventually enter a bar. Uh, this is the scene which we were talking about earlier, where Sam has to drink this like strange drink, which is made from like parts of a snake uh, because it's the the character that, you know, the person he's playing's favorite drink. And uh, it is it's like you said, it it works because Anthony Mackie is such a great actor. So he does a fantastic job here of being like, mm, yeah, that's great. And, you know, that he has to sort of put on this facade. That's very fun. Uh, but then when they want to sort of get a meeting with this character Selby, then Zemo pretends to sort of initiate the Winter Soldier uh, to start in and fight and, and prove in who he is to to get an audience with who, who they want to see. Once they meet uh, this Selby character, who's this kind of like British woman that... Uh, yes, of course it is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Zemo says that Barnes is, you know, he uses him as a bargaining tool, essentially, to get information from her so he can, she can have the Winter Soldier if they, if she tells them where the Super Soldier Serum is coming from. And she tells them that Dr. Wilfred Nagel is the one responsible for the recreation of the serum, having been hired by the power broker. So again, we've you know had Power Broker mentioned within this story and we're being told about the Dr. Wilfred Nagel. So we're tell told who has created the serum. So we're starting to get the breadcrumbs, uh, if you will, which starts to, to lead them certain elements and, and lends itself, I suppose, to that aspect of the show is that kind of buddy cop mystery detective aspect of like, oh, let's go here and let's go there. You know, we find out information off different people. But before Selby can offer Nagel's location, uh, unfortunately, she is shot. <laughs> Their cover is already essentially blown by that point anyway. So uh, we then see that they have to like immediately leave. And I, get, I don't know if you had vibes of this, but when they were leaving then and like, they're like a bounty's on our head. I was just getting flashbacks to that Mandalorian episode in which like all the the devices, the trackers start going off when Mando steals the child in season one. And uh, it's like that entire town then is basically all after Mando. But actually what I thought immediately was uh, John Wick. Yeah, it does have a lot of, especially in the sort of cinematography and look of it, I suppose. Yeah, and it? all the neon lights and the fact that it's a city of killers and hitman. And, uh, you know, it, it really brought that. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, always a, always a welcome thing because uh, I love uh, the word John Wick films. Um, and I do have to say that the phone call scene is a great way to build suspense. I, I will have to give credits to that. Which also, what the hell, Sam? Why the why the why the fuck do you have your phone, especially not silent in in operation? Yeah, 
I just like the fact that they he answered and she was like, hey, we need to talk. It wasn't like, oh, hey, Sam. And so like you've got that tension throughout it. Like, why wouldn't she say his name? And then she says it at the end. So then you're like, oh, so you have sort of been waiting for that. And you've been questioning why it hasn't been said. But I'm surprised that Sam didn't do something to kind of indicate to her that something else was up. You know, when characters in certain TV shows or films will kind of deliberately say something out there or try and hint to the character on the phone or in front of them. They're like, get out of here or, you know, that kind of thing. So again, maybe that would have been a bit too gimmicky or a bit stupid. But mainly as well, it acts as a way of them getting into trouble and getting more people on their back. So we have the idea that then Selby is killed. And as they're leaving, more people are being alerted to the fact that there's a bounty on these three people. Uh, but thankfully, a mysterious figure guns down several bounty hunters, uh, late in, later revealing that it's Sharon Carter. So so what did you think of uh, Sharon's introduction here and, and when she came into into the episode? Well, let's hear the thing. Is it actually Sharon? Because definitely Sharon in the end. But was she the one with the snipe? Because that was the thing that I was really skeptical about because... Later on, we just see another one with the sniper killing, so killing, killing some other thugs. So the question is, is it really her who killed all the people in that building? Yeah. Or But again, uh, but beyond that, uh, because to be honest, I think it's like it could go both ways. But as for the introduction, or I would should say re-reintroduction, uh, she's a very different, uh, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I didn't even expect to get that kind of attitude from her, to be honest. Like, but again, to be honest, we they didn't really get to know her that much back then. Uh, although, but again, the fact that she was just such a lot, like one of the most loyal people to Cap and to Shield as Shield, you know, it it did seem almost extremely off character to all her attitudes but again it's been five years which i think I re- i'm starting getting why we had that time jump on endgame so they can have the possibility of going on different directions with some of the characters yeah potentially with the sniper stuff obviously at the end we kind of see here with this other character as well so potentially there's something going on there whether it's something like the cia or she's got some sort of task force involved. Uh, we don't fully know, but the idea is that kind of she's helped them out of that scrape. We then, like you said, we've learned that because she stole Cap's shield and helped Falcon to get like his wings back and everything in Civil War, then she was made a fugitive and had to, you know, live then out in this place, Madripoor, because it's somewhere, you know, she wouldn't be apprehended for what she's done. So she essentially can't go back to the States. So she definitely has a lot of resentment for Zemo and is kind of really like against the system now. She's sort of saying to Sam and Bucky, you know, oh, you know, it's funny that you used to be, you know, Captain America's sidekick and, you know, she all of that is kind of bullshit. And she could kind of be like our window into that idea of the GRC being corrupt, etc. She could kind of be aware of that and be the character that sort of reflects that cynicism of like a government body like that. But again, we'll see what sort of role she is playing. I think that it is interesting. I'm glad they didn't bring her in like they did in Winter Soldier and Civil War, in which she's just like, 
hey, I'm still working for the CIA. Or I'm still doing this because, like you said, is that you want to have consequences from these films and you never want it to just be like she's broken the law. But then it's like, oh, how convenient. She just got away with it because it does bring in an element of, especially in a show which you've already said, Bucky is being pardoned by the president. You don't want somebody else who's like, oh, I've also been pardoned. You know, he's fine. Oh, yeah, he's cool. In order to get their help, Wilson offers to Sharon a pardon in exchange for helping to track down uh, the doctor's location, uh, which she accepts. So they go to a shipyard where Carter brings them to Nagel's laboratory, uh, hidden inside several shipping containers. So here now we're starting to see them follow the bread uh, crumb trail. Something I will also say, though, is that them bumping into Sharon does seem awfully convenient. It's, it's like you said, the fact that Madripoor is this place of bounty hunters and criminals, and it's just like, oh, what, you just happened to bump into Sharon? Like, she just happened to be in this exact same criminal city? I'm sure there's many places in the world like Madripoor in which she also could have been hiding out. So it did seem incredibly convenient that she just immediately found them and then was immediately like, yeah, I can tell you exactly where this scientist is. It's like, how does everyone know this? <laughs> Yeah, it definitely was, like I said, extremely convenient. Uh, from all the bars from of this huge city, they just just found her. And yeah, and to be fair, like another thing I wanted to add about Sharon is I really love the factor of the fact that she was not pardoned, but everyone else did. And which I, I like that. Which again, the the the, the theme of hypocrisy of the system. And which is always great. Uh, anything that to <laughs> to criticize American politics is amazing for me. Uh, but it was a good addition because again, it's something very much like Zemo says that if actually Zemo and Stereo in a way, like if you're not a superhero, you don't matter in a way. Like your opinion or your role within a society and and the rules of power mean shit. And and I and I really like that. And I and and I do need, and I believe that Sharon wasn't blipped during those five years. Which that means that during even then, during the basically the apocalypse, they still let Cap and the remaining Avengers who were exiled back to the country, but not Sharon, which if that's the case, then I understand that her uh, cynicism to everything. It it's definitely an aspect which I did not expect when we started the show. I thought we would get, you know, more or less the same from her, but you know, far with far more action sequences. Which, by the way, great stuff. Like this is some great action, and I didn't even believe that was uh, Disney Plus because with a bit more CGI blood. This could easily become R-rated. Yeah, I was thinking that's weird <laughs> because we've had the Snyder Cut, we've had Invincible, we've had so much R-rated superhero content lately. It was weird not to see it in a way, but they were really walking the line in this one in terms of how much they could do, etc. with Sharon's action scenes especially. Yeah, and also extremely bizarre to have a sort of club scene mm -hmm. in an MCU thing. It's, it, it's still baffling my mind that this happens also the fact that sharon is the one who organized mm -hmm. it which then i'm that i have more questions yeah <laughs> it's 
Well, where, I, where, where I thought I was really solid with how the world and the universe works, now I just don't know what's happening and I want to know everything. I want a TED Talk from Sharon yeah. to how she organized these kind of parties in a criminal city. But we see then as they go through the shipping containers, they find the lab and Sharon is then outside keeping keeping an eye out. She's sort of facing off against the remaining bounty hunters. Like we said, this is where we see a lot of the action. Some of this, again, it kind of just, it, it works for something like the Mandalorian, but it does bug me when you just kind of get these generic thugs in which I don't know why the show didn't really set up like a better foe for them to face off against. Like, why didn't they just make it like Selby was some kind of cartel criminal empire and then it could have just been their criminals were after them rather than this whole idea of just like lots of random bounty hunters which are just being alerted on their phone. It's kind of the same with Mandalorian. It's like, oh, it's just some other bozo in a helmet or just some other kind of random alien. It's just the fact that like a bunch of people in just like, oh, I'm evil because I'm wearing like a leather jacket and I've got, oh, I'm a skinhead and and they're just kind of randomly showing up at this shipping yard container hoping hoping to what just take down like four people with just you know a handgun or something it's just just i don't know it, it seems a bit strange i get what they're kind of trying to do they're kind of trying to make it the kind of crime show and you know it's like oh they're on the docks they're at the shipping yard and all these bounty hunters are after them but again sometimes it's a bit hard to buy into when you've previously seen these characters facing off more against like armies or bigger threats so but you know, again, it was it made for some fun action with with Sharon. Uh, but but what did you think? Did you did you sort of buy into the whole action that was happening outside of the lab? Listen, after the prison break, I just accepted everything. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 pretty much it, isn't <laughs> after it? After that, I'm like, I'm not gonna try too much because for one, I really appreciate the action and the stunt work is really impressive. Although I kind of wish we had far more of uh, Emily. Emily Van Camp's face, like on some shots. Yeah. Because, you know, because after a while, you know that, oh, yeah, this is a stunt person wearing a wig, most likely, and just trying to hide their face while they're doing all this cool action stuff. I did like it. Yes, as you, said, as you said, it was quite boring because it wasn't really certain to who these people are. Mm. I Initially, I thought they were uh, power brokers, thugs, or something. Uh, mm. You know, uh, but then you, you could have easily just been just random hit people, just you know, just going to the location that probably they were given by the power broker. But yeah, the it, it is still one of the issues I still have with this show. Like I said before, I need a villain. I need to know who is the bad guy or or bad people. Like if it was a whole organization like Hydra, great, that's fine. But but right now you're just giving me just random people. Also. Even the fact that the show opened with uh, uh, with uh, the leap by Patros, yeah, we opened with him fighting Sam with his small group of terrorists, and there's nothing about that. Like, is this gonna be his role? He's gonna be just the random villain of the, for the openings of of this of each title. Like, yeah, I still don't understand to whom am I supposed to be against. 
Mm. They do seem to like doing that. They like it's like in this episode they had the whole like you're not going to move the seat forward, are you? So it seems that they like to kind of just be like, hey, and it's like throwback to that. So how that character was the villain at the start of Winter Soldier wouldn't it be fun if he was the villain at the start of this series? So, but yeah, I, I definitely agree. They kind of need like a, an organization, especially when you've got the Flag Smashers, John Walker, the GRC, and then Bounty Hunters. It, it just gets a bit much. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me to one of the main issues I had with, uh, actually with both Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Adam and the Wasp, because there were so many different factors in each one of them with, with antagonists, not necessarily villains. That in the end, there wasn't much left. But I do have to say, I, I really thought that the the interrogation scene in the lab was one of the one of the highlights. I thought that this worked really well. Like you said, you had that kind of John Wick kind of vibe in terms of the neon lighting inside. It wasn't too goofy. And I thought the the actor who played the doctor here did a really good job because it was here that we got a bit more answers as to where the super soldier serum has come from. So Nagel is interrogated at gunpoint about the serum. He reveals that he was recruited into Hydra's winter soldier program after Zemo had killed them in Siberia, only to be brought into the CIA once Hydra collapsed. So he used the blood samples from an American super soldier and was able to isolate the stable particles which compromised the serum. So because the blip happened, again, he took his work to the power broker who eagerly hired him. And then Nagel le uh, later reveals that he was able to produce 20 vials of the serum, uh, which were then stolen by uh, Carly. So I thought this, is all, this all worked really well. It kind of tracked with what they've been saying. The, it's again, it's connecting stuff in an effective way. It links it to the, the winter soldiers that we saw in Civil War and in Siberia. It made sense about, you know, Hydra collapsing, but then they potentially wanted to carry on the idea of, you know, bringing back this power or this, this serum, because as we know in the MCU, it's how the Hulk was created. It's how, you know, Bucky was was brought to be. So a lot of characters have dabbled in it before. So it makes sense that constantly, you know, there are characters and factions out there which are trying to get their hands on a super soldier serum. And I liked, again, that we saw the effects of the blip here, that he said, you know, I was working on this and then I, I was dusted and then came back to, to find that, you know, the, the, the program had been shut down. So I, I thought that that was really good. And, and it's just the guy's performance. I thought he did a really good job of sort of not playing like an overly sinister or evil character. He was kind of playing this sort of realistic person and who had allegiances or motives and... I liked his line, which he said about like, not my pigs, not my farm. You know, I, I just thought that he had some good, good lines in there and he just performed the overall role pretty, pretty well. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. It is a well, it's a good performance, even though it was only like three or four minutes. And yeah, uh, again, it was effective. It provided necessary exposition. Now, because unfortunately, this show so far, Man of Exposition, it hasn't been the best, but this is definitely an important information to give away. And also, I like some of the usage of explanations that he was giving away, saying like the CIA had this test subject, you know, stuff like that, which we all know it was Isaiah. And the fact, like, even Sam Blair on 
mentions that they didn't even mention him with his own name. And, you know, it's, he, he almost, he, like, like what I said before, that we need to have this one moment of a revelation for, for Sam and Bucky. This wasn't that, but it was definitely something that kind of combined everything that they've been learning so far or discovering or talking about with each other. And that was kind of like came to be almost like an emotional recap for them. That in a way, all the stuff is affected one with the other. And yeah, although I do want to say that once he was revealed, because it was uh, on the back of his head, I really hoped it was Tim Blake Nelson from The Incredible Hulk. I know, when I when I just saw somebody, they experimented on something, I was jokingly thinking in my head, it's Reed Richards, he's appeared. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, to be honest, like, that's just me being me, just saying, it would have been cool, it, you know, it would have made sense because he, he was in a Hulk film and I could see Hydra hire him. But anyways, uh, but yeah, no, it, it was a good scene and I really liked how it was, not all of it, but I liked how it was back and forth with that scene and Sharon's the fight, I, I thought that was good. Yeah, like you said, it, it the entire scenario and the action stuff all saw linked together really nicely. It's starting to connect the dots more by linking it to Carly and that she's using this serum to try and better the situation that she's in. But again, we see it later where she's saying that you know, you know, we were homeless and we you know we were desperate, etc. So it'd be nice to see when we we get more context as to what she's talking about. Um, but ultimately, you know, the scene uh, comes to a head when Carter storms in and tells the men that they haven't got much time. Uh, Zemo then shoots uh, Nagel, uh, so he kills the doctor. Uh, the lab is destroyed uh, by an RPG, which is sent by somebody else. So again, it adds to that kind of just random accomplice kind of goons just randomly showing up like hey yeah i'm just gonna fire a rocket launcher for no reason i'm like w w what's this for are you trying to kill them are you trying to capture them what, you know what, what's happening and you know a, a, a firefight erupts at the shipyard so we see zemo slip on the purple mask that we've been teased now in the trailers and is part of the typical look of the character uh, he defeats uh, multiple bounty hunters before stealing a getaway vehicle from inside a shipping container, uh, which he saw rocks up in uh, and allows Barnes and Wilson to sort of jump into. We get a bit more banter between them where they're sort of arguing about, like, you go left. And, you know, Sam says, like, that's in every action movie. And, you know, they get it wrong. So you get more, more of their sort of dynamic and arguing there as well. Uh, but Sharon says that, she, you know, she won't go with them. She remains behind uh, as long as she can, you know, Sam can stick to his promise that he will uh, get her a pardon so that she can eventually go back to the US. But at the moment, she she's still still a fugitive. Uh, what did you think of the whole purple mask and, you know, this final shootout and an action scene? Well, I'm kind of like, again, I want to know the story behind the mask because for us, we have a history with it, obviously, and... We obviously are excited to see it, but obviously there is an importance to Zemo with it, so I would like to know more of it. I, I, I think it might be just a mask that they were using on the Special Forces in Sokovia, 
possibly. Also, it was in one of the like classic cars he was going around where it showed that, you know, his family was from wealth and he has a fortune. So again, maybe it is like, a, I don't know, I kind of got some sort of like Italian job vibe from it. The fact that it was in this kind of like old classic car, maybe it's just that his family has got a history within large banking operations or like large heists or or thefts so maybe that's kind of like that was his father's mask or something like that and that i kind of got that vibe i don't know why it was just because it the fact that it was just randomly i think in one of those cars at the beginning of the episode it just made me think oh, okay well maybe there's a bit more history behind this rather than just he randomly puts it on or you know he thinks it looks cool <laughs> yeah because especially when we consider that well, the main thing about the whole show so far is the importance of the shield of an item so so the item is something something beyond just a physical form and yeah and i could and i wish we get something like that about that mask um also very good action sequence it's not too flashy but it's still impressive like i'm glad that we finally see zemo's work uh, from what he learned from the special forces because we didn't really get that uh, civil war we did get like his more uh, like the way his mind works but never his actual physical capabilities so that was great but also seeing his brutality it's which again it, it, something go back to, to to sharon because oh she also was brutal to it but at least for her side it was survival he almost didn't need to do that no exactly that seemed to go into the kind of magneto element of like well he was responsible for this element or this league of people which i don't like and i consider a problem so i'm wiping him out because i don't want any more of these people but again a more heroic or i suppose diplomatic person wouldn't have gone about it in that way so he's more again that extremist part of him i do question a bit because when the rpg hit which by the way that can be someone from the power broker because why would the power broker want to explode the lab that makes no sense but beyond that zemo left almost felt like abandoning them but then he came back to save them yeah, it seemed really weird to me. It seemed like a sort of double cross, especially the fact that he had found the gun and it seemed like he was going to turn on them and use it as a chance to escape. But yeah, then just to come back and the fact that they were like, where's Zemo, where's Zemo? And then, you know, they don't really question it when it came when he comes back. It was, again, this that was where the, the pacing was, was a bit strange. It didn't seem like they were filling in all the gaps, like you said earlier. Yeah, it, it is definitely something that... Not threw me off because I do like Zemo and I did enjoy it. But, you know, afterwards, just getting the car and driving it together was then again, I'm like, you just were almost killed by a bunch of criminals and you're mm. going away with this. Yeah, an open top everyone, car. <laughs> yeah, everyone will see. Mm. I mean, sure, whatever. If there was a prison break that happened, it was impossible. But yeah, sure. Yeah, it was again, it was where the tone was a bit off. They weren't going with this kind of like fun, gimmicky kind of like the nice guys like, oh yeah, you know, like we're jumping into this like old classic car. It's a woman at the show is trying to be this sort of serious crime detective show. And then the next minute it wants the banter and buddy cop stuff with Sam and Bucky and like this cool, fun car. So it's where the, the, the 
the tones seems to flip-flop quite a bit sometimes, which again, I don't think is overall like a massive problem, but it just stops it from being like a really, you know, complete show. I think it, it you know, it, it just works on different levels, but it doesn't work like you don't sort of watch it going like, yeah, this is like amazing. This is perfect. Maybe I made a mistake. You did? Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have put it in a museum. Maybe I should have destroyed it. Look, that show represents a lot of things to a lot of people, including me. World's upside down. We need a new cap, and it ain't gonna be Walker. So before you go and destroy it, I'm gonna take it for him myself. This, this then leads us to like our final two scenes, and they're they're two pretty pretty big scenes, as we've mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, the first one is that we go back to Lithuania, uh, where we see Carly is still mourning uh, her mother's death. Uh, she reminisces with fellow flag smasher Dovich about what their lives were like before the blip, uh, and it caused their displacement. And they then later decide to raid a GRC facility for their materials, aiming to deliver it to the displaced children sitting in the camps. Uh, the facility is then set ablaze with people still inside. Meanwhile, Walker and Hoskins arrive in Berlin, only to find out Zemo has escaped, uh, knowing Barnes and Wilson were involved. So, yeah, as we mentioned earlier, this kind of puts a different angle on Carly because she's now obviously evolved in murder essentially because she's killed a bunch of innocent people because I think Dovich even says in that situation doesn't he like there were still people in there and what like the excuse she saw used was kind of like we're always going to come across these people these are just casualties of of the the system we're fighting against so she sees them as the enemy so again it's kind of like Zemo she sees it as a necessary evil because they are ultimately doing the more good or you know what she believes in but it's ultimately not a morally right thing to do but she believes that it's the only way to fight against this system and yeah it just it just raises more questions for me in terms of their motives and where they've come from because like I said we don't really see these children which are just you know meant to be displaced so it's hard to really get the connectivity of exactly what they're trying to do for them and is it is it meant to be that Carly and the Flag Smashers were displaced or is it meant to be that they weren't blipped because I thought the idea was meant to be that they they preferred the world when it was blipped and, and this happened and they they want to go back to that so it seemed weird to me that again they're talking about before before the blip happened and all that kind of stuff so I, I can buy into the aspect that what happened over the last five years completely turned everything that happened to them five years ago upside down similar to what we saw with the doctor and to Sharon and other characters but it kind of conflicts with the idea that they want things to be the way they were during those five years I think no I think they it means that they weren't blipped and because of that uh, other countries were far more open to bring refugees and immigrants as now there were enough resources, but then everyone came back. So then each government had to choose to keep the ones that we have been sheltering for five years, or just throw them away and bring and you know welcome back our our own citizens, and which is a, it's a great aspect. 
just seems weird that Carly hasn't lived through that. It seems the weird that you would have you wouldn't have characters who had seen the good that that has caused and more have been like disappeared, come back and then gone. Oh, what happened during those five years? Oh, uh, this was the way it was. Oh, well, you know, I guess it kind of works. You know, if you were to immediately arrive back into this other world and you were told of how it was when you were gone, then you would fight for potentially that world because you never got to see it for yourself. But it also kind of seems weird to me that you wouldn't have somebody who experienced that and wants to hold on to it because now they've seen the ramifications of what has happened once everything has gone back to normal. I think the main problem with all this, the fact that we do not see a reasoning or a justification of uh, crimes. I think that is that I think why it works with Zemo is because we had well we had almost a whole film about the destruction of Sokovia. So we we have a very direct reference to it. And you know, and just telling us yeah, and just telling us that, you know, his family was in there and we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yes, the idea of show don't tell, isn't it? And that, you know, they're doing a lot of telling us about what's happened to her, but we haven't really seen anything or get an idea of exactly what she's fighting for. But even then, they don't even tell us to why she kills. Like that, that I think that's that's the other like, okay, like she like this organization is letting people starve to death. It's a very good cause, but I don't understand why you need to go to mass murder to go there. I think just, you know, stealing foods and giving it to the people in need is enough of a message. Because then when you kill the soldiers, then you make yourself a target to everyone. Yeah, it's again, it's this show's, it's this show constantly trying to keep them as villains. It's like I said, with the whole, the character she played in Solo is the fact that throughout the film, you're told that like, they can't take this away. They're trying to steal this material. And then you later find out that like, oh, we were trying to steal this for a good reason. So in this show, it's like they almost want to do the same thing. But they're like, oh, well, we need to have something to keep you questioning and thinking that they're evil throughout it. So then you see them do villainous things like that to sort of keep you off the trail that actually maybe eventually they'll be, you know, characters you support. Yeah, and especially during that scene when we see all the soldiers just being basically not hurt. So basically all of them are just tied down to the ground. And I immediately said to myself, Oh, you see, oh, so they are the good guys. I mean, so far they haven't really killed everyone. Two minutes later, a huge fucking explosion, and all of them are dead. And so, yeah, which again, it felt so off to me because up to that point, you've given me enough to be on the side, and all of a sudden, like, uh, like even her own people were saddened by that kind of move, and and I couldn't really feel. Why now? Like, I understand your mother died, but you didn't really, they didn't really go into that too much. I felt, I I felt like I missed two scenes, two very vital scenes. And yeah, and again, and it is so sad that I know quite a lot about this group, but I still feel exactly the same way as I did on the first episode. And it's, I don't know yet. I don't have an opinion. I need to see more. 
Yeah, exactly. So then that leads us to our final scene where Zemo believes he's on the trail of Carly. So that directs them to that location we're told uh, they were in earlier, uh, Riga. Uh, There, Barnes separates from Sam and Zemo to investigate some beads that he's found on the street. He says he wants to go for a walk. It's quite a nice moment where Sam says, you know, you okay? And he's He's like, yeah, you know, I'm all good. But as we know, when somebody's like, I need some beer, I need to go for a walk, you, you know, that they're obviously trying to de-stress. So it was nice that Sam was sort of showing the concern there. But you do have to kind of wonder, like, hang on, we've already had Sharon arrive into this. You know, we're seeing multiple different characters show up and uh, be revealed. So where is this going? And, you know, is somebody else spying on them? Is Is somebody else gonna show up and be like a villain who's like after them so I was kind of nervous at that point but once they showed what it was I was like oh okay this actually makes a lot more sense and I think that this is quite clever especially because again after weeks of you know WandaVision speculation of people being like is this character gonna turn up is this character gonna turn up what if this person turns up and I actually think here people might have got a reveal that they kind of wanted in WandaVision because WandaVision didn't really give us any of those like big like oh my god it's this character apart from maybe quicksilver but then that never came out in the way people wanted so i think what what these actually makes you work though is the fact that it makes sense in the story it's because obviously like because it's weird that we never really thought of the possibility of having some element of wakanda here especially when we knew that Zemo would go, would break out of prison, like so, it kind of makes sense that they would be the ones to be that want to be involved in all this, especially while, especially to what it did uh, with the whole story arc with uh, Ulysses Claw in Black Panther. I mean, that was one of the main uh, philosoph- like moral arguments in the film during the first act. It's like should, like should we kill Ulysses Claw? Or just give him to our allies, and and yeah, and uh, obviously for me, it's you know it feels great because again, not a lot of people were saying the possible connection it could have to the planet to the Black Panther films, and and then I think it was a really good reveal because even for me, who was a big fan of that of the world Wakanda, I. It took me a while to realize what these beats were. And and also, I kind of like the fact that Bucky immediately knew. And again, it's one of those things that I, I like. I hope we're going to get to see how his life was in Wakanda. Because apparently for him, it was possibly one of his better moments in his life. Possibly his better moments since... He he was transformed into the Winter Soldier, so 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 I do like that part and the fact that he's very casual with uh, I think her pronunciation is Ayo. Yes, yeah, I was gonna say so. It's it's important people to know. Obviously, they don't want to get confused uh, with the other Dora Milaje because you know they are all like bold women. So I suppose you know I I hope that other people wouldn't sort of see this and uh, think that she's like a koye or or someone like that but she has you know she was in civil war she was like the great character who sort of put down black widow and was just like move or you will be moved yeah (laughs) that was a great moment so uh, and it's nice that she's shown up throughout uh, all these films so 
yeah, and um, and I'm very happy. First of all, like we said multiple times about all these secondary characters to get a moment to shine. I'm even it's even better when it's the third characters who they have these small moments to 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 be. Well, it's more than just few few minutes of footage. Even though we still got exactly the same amount of footage of her than we did in Civil War. But hopefully we are going to get more of her. And hopefully maybe we could get more of Wakanda in general. Cause if, because so far this show has really been very much about an international journey. So right now I see no reason to not, not necessarily go to Wakanda, but at least have more themes of it. Wondering when you're gonna show up. So yeah, I thought this was a really strong way to end it. Like you said, it makes a nice tie with Bucky. It makes sense because, you know, he he was there. It gives you a bit more insight into maybe his time in Wakanda. So it's nice not just to imagine that he was just there on a farm and he didn't interact with anyone. Of course he would have like made relationships and, and become acquainted with the people who live there, etc. So I think that, that that is nice as well. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens going forward, definitely, especially the fact that Zemo is still on side with them. And yeah, I just hope that, like you said, this now leads us to start to connect things a bit more. We get a bit more of the connections between the Flag Smashers, the GRC, and especially with John Walker. You, you know, you don't want to spread yourself too thin, but like you said, you need to bring all of this together. Otherwise, it's just going to seem like too many storylines happening in different places. So I want to see more John Walker. I just want a, a bit more direction in terms of Carly. I think we need to now see the power broker to maybe get that dynamic of whether she's just the assistant or whether she aligns with what he wants or whether she's he, she's just being used by him. And then, the, you know, I think Sam and Bucky start to, need to start to become aware of the situation otherwise they're just going to seem it's just going to diminish them as characters a bit if they just keep getting sort of dragged around and they're not in control of the events of this narrative so that's my overall thoughts and and what i think of this final part of the story uh steph what what are your you know final thoughts on on the episode and and sort of expectations for for next week it's more or less the same with yours. Um, like overall, like as we as as mentioned uh, throughout the episode, um, what I really want to see later on, but especially for this, the fact that this very short scene actually it's not even a scene. It's, I would even say it's one shot. It's 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 a it's a ten second shot. Adds so much possibility to everything. And I really hope they go there because, surprise, because surprisingly, but also not, having someone from Wakanda really rich, enriches a lot of the storylines and arcs of the characters. Like for one, you have, as we said, Bucky for the actually being one of the few positive moments in his life. Um, and then for Sam, the fact that he's We've seen how much he struggled as an African-American in his own country. And then, but then we have an actual country who thrives with its own black culture and black beauty. And how that could 
maybe correlate between them like uh, maybe being a what if scenario not the animated show like a what if scenario for sam if he was there but also what is their opinion about sam and america as a whole or what is their opinion about captain america because there's a possibility they didn't even care about the shield or anything they just cared about steve and then for zemo it's interesting because before we saw her she was he was saying about the hypocrisy of the avengers of not going back to sokovia to see the statue although there is a hypocrisy on himself because he has done some horrific events that they have uh, shaped and almost brought a national trauma i mean yeah the, the murder of king tichaka has is the catalyst to what happened in black panther with Killmonger and everything, that was the starting point. So, so yeah, so it's it's there's so many ways that could take this, and I hope they're not gonna miss that opportunity because it's not something like a Wonder Vision, which we had just theories of because we knew because we knew things from the comics. This is something that they mentioned their own. It's a, it's a direct reference. It is an actual character in that world and i hope that they are going to do something with it yeah and i think it also lends lends itself to what kevin feige and other members of marvel have said in the past is that you know these will be essential viewing if you are following the mcu and you want to know what's happening but they said you can still go film to film so these are filling the gaps so I think it would make sense, like you said with your theory, if you saw then Sam or Bucky in Wakanda in something like Black Panther 2, because somebody could quite easily watch that after watching Endgame and Infinity War and go, oh yeah, Sam's got, you know, uh, sorry, Bucky's got a past, a history there. That makes sense. You wouldn't have had to see that to understand his journey to go in there. But by watching it, your understanding is all that much better, but you can still buy into the the journey without necessarily seeing it and the same as maybe having sam as captain america is you know the last you would have seen of him in a film is getting given that shield and then to see him as captain america next time you can buy, buy into that but the series is then able to explore that idea of like oh well what if he wasn't sure about it what if he doubted himself what if there were other parties who were interested in the shield so i think that 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 is is clever from a business perspective, but also does actually lend itself to the show shows as a whole because it's not making them too packed and like, you need to watch this because this big climactic end of the world thing is going to happen. It means they can be more focused and character driven, which is like I said, why I, I have hopes for a character like uh, Io, you know, having a bit more development, etc. But we shall see next week as we continue our watch through and reviews of the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to this review. In terms of where you can find us, you can catch myself uh, on Twitter at David Osger. You can also catch uh, a bunch of articles and videos that I work on over on freshtakehub.com. And you can also catch me uh, on other episodes of Capes, Cowls and Masks uh, recently where we did our news episode where we were covering off the le recent uh, Suicide Squad trailer. So go check out our other episodes as well, which include uh, Jake and Tom, or you can check out our previous reviews, uh, which also includes Stefanos. Uh, so Stefanos, uh, where, where can we catch yourself? 
Yeah, you can find me also on Twitter uh, at SYFloridakis, which you can find several of my work on Fresh Tech also. And also possible to check my letterbox as I'm giving very short reviews or comments or even phrases of each film I watch in 2021. Yeah, definitely check it out, guys. It's going to be a lot to watch this year, so you'll want to want to see what uh, Stefanos is uh, reacting. So yeah, you can also catch uh, this show on Twitter at Cape Cows and Mask, and you can also catch it on Facebook at Cape Cows and Masks. Uh, if you're enjoying our reviews and listening to us on Anchor, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, leave us some stars, leave a review. It helps us to go up in the rankings. And the best you can do is share this podcast and tell all of your friends this is the Falcon and Winter Soldier review show to listen to. So thank you once again. We'll see you next week and stay safe and take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.